We say it often that testimonies are a proclamation. Uh, they're, they're a statement, um, a verbal proclamation of God's goodness and his powerful, miraculous power in our life, in our brokenness. And today I wanted to do a little bit something different and share a life change story of my own and share a little bit of my heart. And if you're listening, I want you to see if you can find your story in my story, because though we may not be able to relate specifically, God God knows exactly what you're struggling with, and he wants to meet you in that space. And if we can, if we can let him into that and trust him with that, uh, starting with, uh, yeah, just trying to find our own skin in that, imagine what, what God can do in our life. Today, I'm going to share a little bit of my life change story. Welcome to Celebrate Recovery Official. This is a podcast that shares life change stories, courage, hope, and leadership wisdom centered around the Celebrate Recovery principles based on Matthew chapter 5 so that we can walk in the newness of life as we face our hurts, hangups, and habits, and broken relationships so that we can walk in the purpose that he designed for us. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with drugs and alcohol and perfectionism. My name is Rodney. I'm the Global Field Director of Celebrate Recovery. And welcome. Hey, thanks for sharing this podcast and getting the word out and keep those ideas rolling in uh, on uh, the, the podcast ideas. So grateful to be here with you today. I, I, I decided I wanted to uh, do something a little bit, a uh, little bit different in, in actually sharing a little bit more of my story. Um, some of you have heard my story, but uh, sometimes it can be valuable to to hear this and and uh, be able to play that. So I'm going to share uh, not my full blown testimony, but I want to share just kind of some some big pieces of that. Uh, to hopefully bring some encouragement to you. What what I love about testimonies is it does it does give us that oxygen. And so if you're in a bad spot, I just want you to try to find your own story uh, in my story. Um, and and by the way, every single Friday night uh, at Celebrate Recovery, every day of the week across the world, people here uh, Friday nights here at my local CR, but. But all over the world, different nights of the week, uh, we hear these life change stories. So it's the fruit of what uh, Jesus does in and through our lives through Celebrate Recovery. But but um, so anyway, let me give you a little bit of my story. I grew up um, yeah, in what you've kind of heard referred to as a broken home. I had, uh, there was five of us boys. We had uh, three different fathers and multiple stepfathers. When I did a genogram in grad school, um, I don't know how many of these men were actually legally married to my mom. Uh, at the very least, they were common law uh, husbands. Uh, but I had many, many, many stepfathers. And it's just a testament of my mom's own hurt that she was dealing with in her life. Uh, my biological dad, uh, through lots of dysfunction on both sides, my mom and my dad, um, uh, he was out of the picture uh, when I was about two years old, and and for many years I held an incredible resentment, and anger toward him, um, and and I know now though that it was it was toward my mom as well. But in that moment, I held great anger uh, 
abandonment issues. Um, and in this common denominator of my stepdad's entering the picture with a common thread of, of physical, verbal, emotional abuse, drugs, alcohol. Um, yeah, it was just a messy place, contaminated. Um, so our home was made up of a, of a lot of physical, mental abuse, and it really did pollute our home. And there's really too many stories that I could share uh, about the trauma that I experienced as a little boy. But I saw a lot of people overdosing, saw violence, dysfunction, um, all these, these uh, yeah, just lots of dysfunction and, and toxic environment. But one of those stories that rings still to this day in my mind is the interaction I had with one of my stepfathers. And he would, he would, um, he would help me with my homework at the kitchen table. And, and he had um, alcohol issues with that, a lot of anger, very short-tempered. And I can remember um, sitting at the table, which was a pretty regular thing. I'd sit at the kitchen table doing homework, and inevitably, while sitting at that kitchen table, um, if I didn't understand the homework, he would try to explain it to me. And if I didn't understand it, uh, specifically math, math was always a weakness for me, he would get frustrated and you could feel this rage building inside of him, almost like a, a volcano, right? And it would always come to full eruption. And that would usually result in him uh, physically hitting me. And And I can remember, I can still remember, you know, back in that time there was shag carpet and I can still remember the smell of the shag carpet I can remember uh, the paint on the walls. I can remember the plant that I would fall into that was behind the table at the kitchen table in the back corner. And I would just find myself kind of disheveled, bloodied, broken, disoriented, um, just hear the ringing in my ears. Um, and I and find my way back. I kind of fumble my way back into my chair and it would happen over and over and over and over again. Kind of a messy situation in it. And this was, and this is what I've learned through recovery, that this was one of my earliest memories that men, especially men, but let alone people, were no longer safe for me. And I felt all alone. I felt helpless. I felt hopeless. I felt abandoned. And I knew that no one in my heart at that time could be trusted with my pain. So all of this inevitably led to unhealthy or dysfunctional uh, dysfunctional coping strategies and addictions at a very, very young age. And all of it was a, a result of trying to hide and numb out from my pain. And for many years, again, I'm learning this on the back end, for many years I stayed that little boy hidden underneath that kitchen table. I was frozen in my pain and unable to emotionally face my pain. Uh, though I was growing into a young man and eventually uh, into an older man, that that little boy was still living there. And so at the age of 10, because I was unable to face my pain and I didn't have a healthy environment, not to justify my choices, but it made sense why I was doing what I was doing. I was introduced to alcohol and marijuana and really any kind of drug that was thrown in front of me, if it would numb me in any way, I tried it. Um, unfortunately I put a lot of bad things in my body and, and I, and I began even using with my mom and my stepfathers, whoever was in the picture and, and, and my mom had her own dysfunctional view caught up in her own web of dysfunction that 
she believed that if I was using and drinking with her under her quote unquote supervision, silly as that sounds, I would be safe. Yeah, that that's pretty high dysfunction in it. But again, she, I don't blame her. She had her own stuff, but I had to be honest about the pain. I have to be honest about what was happening. So I can remember our home being just made up of countless home parties. We would we would be exposed to a lot of things, unhealthy relationships, sex, alcohol, drugs. And that, that was just a picture. I'm the oldest because my my older brother was adopted out. He was put in foster care and adopted out. So I was, in essence, the oldest of four boys, though there were five of us. The, the older brother was adopted out. And that's a whole nother story for another time. But but it was a regular uh, thing for me to look after my brothers when my mom and my stepdad at the time would go out. And they always, most always, uh, most of the time, they would come home um, intoxicated, but usually fighting with each other. Usually, you know, you looked at that woman and there's a kind of a fit of rage and jealousy. And and I can still remember like it was yesterday, waking up to the middle in the middle of the night, hearing the quiet of the no, the quiet of the night becoming sheer madness. My my parents fighting, screaming, glasses being thrown against the wall, doors being slammed. And unfortunately, times when I would hear my mother literally fighting for her life. Um, so take this picture. I'm just a scrawny little kid, and I'm hearing my mom fighting for her life. And I, I didn't have anything in my body, muscle mass-wise, to do anything, but just really more of a distraction. So most of the time I could tune it out, but then I would just I would try to just fight for my, my mom, and I'd make attempts to rescue her, and, and you can imagine how that would go. Those attempts would just result in those beatings turning toward me and, and lots of damage there. But that was an ugly life. And, and I used to ask that question, where, where was God in all of this? I, I, I really did begin to believe that my life, uh, that as it was, this is, this is my lot in life. This is my destiny and, and it's, and it's never going to improve. And so when when we would go through life, my mom having multiple men in and out of our life, and we would we would move from city to city and state to state, and we finally ended up in Phoenix, Arizona, in our efforts to run from men. And I can still remember, like it was yesterday, I'm walking into our apartment and seeing my mom sitting on the couch. Um, she was looking at me. I could still remember those bright green eyes. And I asked my mom what was wrong with her because I could tell something was wrong. And I just remember her saying, I've done something really wrong, son. And she held out her arms to show some marks where she had shot up drugs with a needle for the first time. See, she had sworn in all of her drug use, I will never use needles. And I've heard Mac talk about this in his story. We, we, even in drug addictions, we have a line and usually we cross it and she crossed that and she crossed that line using a needle and it scared the fire out of her and she was ready to leave there. And I was a young punk teenager at the time. And so I convinced her somehow, I still don't know how I convinced her to let me stay up. I think I was 16 at the time, maybe 15. I don't remember exactly, but, but I'm living with a, a friend, um, who was a drug dealer and, uh, in our complex. And that sounded like a good combo but my mom moved away. Man, I felt like I had arrived. I felt like I was all that, uh, but I wasn't. I began selling drugs uh, for Marvin. You know, he was 
he would just kind of, Hey, go do this, go take this to this guy, that kind of thing. And I just did what I was told. But unfortunately my addictions began to grow to daily, uh, smoking and snorting cocaine. I was smoking marijuana multiple times a day. It was just a nasty recipe for disaster. But there was one individual, uh, a guy in our complex, um, and I can still remember taking him in the middle of the night. I mean, we're talking like two in the morning at times I would drive his car. I didn't even have a license. I was old enough to have a license, but I didn't have one. I didn't get my license till I was like 18. But I'm driving this guy, an addict. I'm an addict myself. I'm driving at two o'clock in the morning at Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm taking him to his ATM machine to get money out so that he could buy drugs. And guys, when I think about that, I think about it. he had two beautiful little girls. He had a wife, and and I was a part of feeding his addiction. And that just makes me sick today to think about. But so I'm living now a, a school dropout. I'm living in the middle of this this drug infested environment. Um, lots too many things: crime and gangs and prostitution all around our community. And it wasn't unusual for to see people to be there one day and gone the next. Drug raids, people overdosing, seeing people um, and just the result of darkness and selfishness ruin people's lives. And when money got tight for me and Marvin, uh, we would, we'd live from house to house. We'd sleep on couch to couch and we did everything we can and, and uh, to survive. And I remember uh, Marvin, I was tagged along with him I didn't actually do anything, but I was guilt by association. Uh, this guy, this drug dealer, he was arrested for stealing a VCR. That's a video cassette recorder. He stole that from a local house. Why? So he could sell it to buy more drugs so that we could make more money. And I remember that I was arrested for uh, and, and brought in for uh, questioning uh, for what I might know about what happened. And I knew enough to, I couldn't rat him out, but that cop, he went from a nice cop <laughs> to a, a really mean cop because he caught me in a bunch of lies and it was threatening to lock me up for a long time. But I spilled my guts and, and I remember driving home at that minute, at that moment, and, and I can still see the police officer's face in the rear view mirror looking at me. And, um, I was scared. I knew that I was in danger. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I remember him looking at me through the mirror and saying, I would advise you to try to get away from here. Can you get out of here? And I didn't know how I was going to do that, but, but I think he could see the fear in my eyes. Um, and it, you know, something was going to have to give here and I'll never forget this same guy that I used to drive the ATM machine, he took me uh, aside and he said, I don't know why I'm doing this, but my wife and I talked about it. We want to buy you a plane ticket to get you out of here. And he bought me a plane ticket. The same guy that I had a part in almost destroying his family bought me a plane ticket. You talk about sufficient grace and undeserved grace. I didn't deserve that kind of grace and love, but he bought me a plane ticket to get me out of there. And I flew out of there, um, and was able to, uh, move into the next chapter of my life. So I'm going to take a quick break right here. Um, when we come back, I'll continue the conversation, sharing a little bit of my testimony, uh, stick with me and I'll be right back.
Hey friends, if you're looking for another meeting, we have an online open share group every Wednesday at noon Pacific. If you'd like information and the link to join people from all over the world, just go to CelebrateRecovery.com and click on that link and join us. And we'll have a quick Devo, a mini money, and then we divide up into gender-specific groups and uh, hear and share our hearts. So join us every Wednesday, noon Pacific. And go to On Wednesdays, go to CelebrateRecovery.com for more information. Welcome back. Uh, right before I went to the break, I was talking about uh, just how this guy generously and graciously bought me a plane ticket. And and here's the thing. I did get out of there, and I never touched cocaine or marijuana again. I, I don't know how that happened. I think part of it was white knuckling and scared for my life. I was constantly looking over my shoulder. It was not a good place for me, but at least I was out of that environment and I moved in with my stepfather and my mom, and and um, I got back into school. Um, it, that that's where I started kind of finding some normalcy, whatever that is. And and my mom uh, with my stepdad, the the work dried up there. He was a shingler, and I worked with him for a while shingling houses. But they had to move on again, and I was tired of moving. I was tired of running. I was tired of just that life. And, and I wanted to stay in school. I wanted to have friends. I wanted to do something different. So I stayed behind. My mom moved on again. And, and I, I continued school. I began working for my music teacher, Mr. Taylor, um, uh, doing some odd jobs. He was my music teacher. Great man. Uh, uh, but I'd be lying if I said it was easy starting at a freshman level, being two years older than everyone in my class. I felt so humiliated. I felt like an idiot. I felt, but I felt determined. I, I knew what life could be, and I wanted that. And my music teacher, Mr. Taylor, had no idea that I was living on my own. And it's a long story, another story for another time. But I, I was ended up not being able to pay my bills, and and we we were living in low income housing anyway. And if you can't have electricity, then you can't live in these low-income houses. At least that's the way it was then. So they they served uh, an eviction notice to my mom. They were actually serving me, not knowing it was me, but they served it to my mom. And I went to Mr. Taylor, who was close to retirement, and, and asked him. And he actually let me, with his wife, sweet wife, Barb, uh, come live with uh, the two of them. And to this day, I'm still stunned that they let me into their life. But uh, they are like a second set of parents for me. Um, in fact, we named my daughter Taylor after them. It, what a it was just a sweet thing. Uh, before, yeah, just being able to just uh, name name uh, one of our children after them. But but one of the requirements to live with them was to go to church, and and I went to church with them, and I, it was there that I found and accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and. The cool thing is, though I struggle with a low self-esteem, Mr. Taylor, he pulled these gifts out of me that I didn't even know I had musically, vocally, and he helped me to gain confidence. And I found he helped me get a scholarship to go to college, I mean, which is mind-blowing because I, I always thought I would die young. But here now I'm talking about going to college. And I go to college and I meet my wife, Carol, who's also a scholarship student, and I instantly fell for her. I mean, we we married 10 months later, which is fast, but I, did, I knew I wanted her to be my wife, and we just fell in love, and we now have two beautiful kids that are adult kids now. We consider them gifts from God, but but coming into that marriage, you can imagine the, the baggage, the low self-esteem, dysfunctional view on the family, 
and I had so many character defects. When my son was little, we nearly lost him in my wife's pregnancy, and that took a huge toll on us. And in struggles, in pain, in conflict, I learned to run. But instead of running physically, I ran emotionally, and I hid myself uh, in my work. My wife was the only one going to church at the time because I was just too busy. Yeah, right. I'd become a workaholic. Uh, and I'd work ridiculous amounts of time. I'd go in early, stay really, really late, and do it over and over and over again. See, I'd shifted my drug addiction to work addiction and people pleasing, and that's not a healthy place. But, but about a year, year or so into our marriage, my wife and I separated, and we were on the brink of divorce. My wife was was beat down emotionally, and I had she had nothing left in her tank to give to our relationship. And you can imagine how devastated that left me. I fell into a deep depression, even thought of suicide. I knew I was to blame, and I couldn't bear the thought of being without her and my, my son at the time. After a few weeks about going through my pity party and uh, falling into some of these old dysfunctional views, I came to realize that I wasn't ready for this relationship to be over. I drew closer to Christ, and I began praying for the relationship, and God did bring us back together. And we sought out counseling and and the, to mend those hurts and the pain that was caused. And I'm so excited and blessed to be able to say with gratitude, my wife and I have been married almost 32 years. That's only God's grace. But about 18 years ago, I started coming to this uh, church that I'm going to now, Fellowship, and um, started going to Celebrate Recovery to help out with worship. I could lead. I was a singer. I could lead in worship. I was doing that in other venues. And I thought I was just coming to help out, but eventually I came on staff at that church, at this church fellowship in Rogers, Arkansas, and I became the ministry leader. So I jumped into a small group step study group so I could learn the ministry to help all those really screwed up people, right? <laughs> I now know I, I am one of those people, but, but I remember going to my first open share small group on a Friday night, and it was actually at the conference in California, the Adult Child of Dysfunctional Family. And I was really going because I was being too lazy. And my buddy Steve was going in that group, and I didn't want to find another group. But when I started reading through this issue pamphlet, I realized that this is my story. Everything that I was reading made so much sense. It gave me freedom to know there was an explanation, not justification, but explanation. And I began working through the principles, and I found that God had some work to do on me and my heart. Though I wasn't using cocaine and alcohol anymore, or marijuana, uh, I, I identified some unhealthy core beliefs, some patterns of isolation and depression that I could fall into so easily. I learned that uh, in this process, I have to turn my entire life and will over to his care. Uh, see, what I learned is when I left Phoenix, Arizona, as a scared teenager, I never tr touched drugs and alcohol again. That's through God's grace. That doesn't always happen that way. But what I learned through Celebrate Recovery is I was still carrying the junk that led me to use drugs and do alcohol in the first place. I realized that in recovery, the problem of addictions was not the problem. It was a symptom. I had so much bitterness, so much resentment built up from that trauma. And Celebrate Recovery taught me to bring my pain forward and let other people into that. CRs taught me I don't have to run to my old coping strategies 
um, as I got and started doing the work in the small group setting, eventually in the step study and the open share group combined, that I don't have to use those old coping strategies for comfort anymore. I don't have to use those old defenses and protections to hide from my pain, that I can replace those negative core beliefs that would inevitably take me to just some coping strategies just to confirm what I believed about myself. Um, one of the greatest fruits in this recovery process as I began uh, um, dealing with and facing the pain was my relationship with my mom and being able to just pour Jesus into her. And I was a part of leading her in her walk to Christ in her final years of life. And I'm so grateful for that. That's just one of those big fruit moments. But here's the thing. Through Celebrate Recovery, I've been able to forgive I forget when I've been able to forgive my mom. We were able to make peace before she left, but I've been able to forgive my stepfathers, even my dad, even though I don't have a relationship with him from the abuse and the abandonment from my stepfathers. I learned to, to be obedient to God, to forgive them, and one by one take those issues to him. See, I'm no longer that scared little abused boy that's hiding under that table. And here's the cool thing. Jesus didn't expect me to crawl out under my own power. No, he just, he just wanted me to invite him in. Jesus met me in my pain and found me under that table, and he invited me into a new and healthy space I now, now call life and recovery. As I mentioned, I've been able to forgive my dad, um, and I find peace that I'm not holding grudges. I, I do hold out hope that one day, He'll come back into my life and we'll be able to have a relationship. I don't know if that will happen, but I want him to see my adult children in their lives who are now both married, giving me and my wife the gift of our, our four, four-year-old grandson and, and our one-year-old granddaughter and now our newest two-month-old grandson. Um, such a blessing. But here's the thing, guys. I still struggle in my life as everyone else does, but now I call upon my network and especially Christ, to keep me from running to that dark cave and coping strategies uh, so, so important in my life. But most recently, even just three years ago, um, I faced one of my biggest tests in my life in recovery. I, I had surgery on my nose uh, to have, correct a deviated septum. Uh, septum. Uh, it was a correction stemming from ongoing physical abuse as a child. Well, the next day after surgery, I found myself lying in an ambulance in the driveway because I had passed out and my heart had stopped. Uh, the paramedics came to the door and told my wife that they were taking me to a closest hospital because they weren't sure if I was going to make it. It was a scary time. But it was a several-month process with multiple late-night trips to the ER, a couple more heart stoppages, and lots of struggles. But in the end, I found that, that I needed a pacemaker. I needed medication to control my low blood pressure. Here's the cool thing in this. This is such a great thing that God doesn't waste hurts. God used something really bad, a broken nose from abuse as a child, to help me find healing from something I didn't even know that I needed. At the same time... I'm carrying this right before my pacemaker. Uh, during a three-month period, I experienced this compounded, compounded loss, grieving the loss of Mr. Taylor, my music teacher that I spoke of. Lost a good friend and mentor, the Celebrate Recovery founder, Pastor John Baker, and a close friend that was my best man in my wedding and died of a sudden heart attack at a very young age. There was so much fear, so much uh, pain, so much overwhelming emotions. But through these struggles, the old me would have run and tried to numb out 
from the substances. But through CR, I was able to use the tools and the resource of people uh, to notice my pain, invite it in, organize it, and share it with my wife, God, and others in celebrate recovery. Um, in my past, this is the cool thing, the fruit of this. Men were unsafe and were my abusers. But in CR, God has brought me full circle to learn how to trust and invite men into those scary parts of my heart. And it's such a blessing. There's a passage that I love in Matthew 11. And, and maybe that just read this over to you. Come to me, Jesus. This is Jesus talking to us. Come to me and I will give you rest. All of you who work so hard beneath a heavy yoke, wear my yoke for it fits perfectly. And let me teach you for I am gentle and humble and you shall find rest for your souls for I give you only light burdens. See, I used to ask, where was God in all of this? And I now know he was always with me, even in the deepest pits of my addictions and pain. But what 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 I was able to understand was that I was the one that turned my back on him in my pain. And if you're a, a first-time listener or you're new to this process, uh, maybe you're not in a small group, step study group. Can I just say, don't quit before your miracle happens. Change is possible. Christ is right here with you right now as you listen to this. He's waiting on you to choose him. And you keep coming back. If you've not gone to Celebrate Recovery, go to Celebrate Recovery. It'll only help yourself. But you will bring so much hope to those around you as you break the cycle of dysfunction in your life. People need to see the growth in your life as you go and grow through this process. As we say in Celebrate Recovery, keep coming back because it works if you work it and it won't. If you don't, Jesus wants to do a miracle in our life. Well, I hope this has been a benefit for you. Uh, thanks for giving me space to share my testimony with you. Uh, uh, no matter where you are, where there's a common thread in our testimonies, it's hurt, it's pain. Though the symptoms and how we address them may be different, we all know what hurt is. If you're alive and breathing, you're a part of the human race and you know exactly what I'm talking about. So uh, I hope that you will uh, decide to join a Celebrate Recovery near you and not face this alone. You're worth it. God loves you where you are. He loves you too much to keep you where you are. Go to CelebrateRecovery.com and find a group near you. I hope you'll join us at a group near you. Hey, thanks for being with me today. I hope you'll join us next time. Until then, God bless.